This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information, the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by Academy Internet at www.academyinternet.com. Andy White here as normal and in episode 36 we go back to the important topic of SEO or search engine optimization. And specifically in part one of a two-part mini-series we're talking about on-page optimization. So we've got the expert, Daniel Rowles, MD of Academy Internet. He's telling us about how Google sends its spiders and robots to our websites and what they do when they get there and how we should arrange ourselves. Also, a great interview with Jonathan Moss of Balls.com about his new sports and social networking site. Definitely worth a visit, that, Balls.com. So that's all coming up, so stay tuned. But first, that interview with Daniel, SEO Optimization, Part 1. Hello everybody, it's Andy White here and I'm with Daniel Rouse and today Dan we're going to go back and cover some basics with SEO I believe aren't we? We are, we're going to go back to the old school a little bit and we realised that the, um, we covered SEO or search engine optimization, very early on in the podcast series and um, since then I think our uh, podcasting skills have developed somewhat so hopefully uh, the podcasts are of slightly better quality now and I think we've got a lot of new listeners since then so it's probably worth going back which is to one of probably one of the most important topics that we'll cover um, in internet marketing and just talk about how you get into the top rankings in the search engines and why that's important and so on and so forth. Dan, please enlighten us. Okay. Just to put things in perspective, um, quite a lot of the time when I'll talk about SEO, I'll be talking about Google because um, in the UK, for example, Google represents about 74% of searches. Okay. So... um, yeah, that, that, that varies across the world, but predominantly we are talking about Google having the largest market share across the world. Um, and most user journeys start with a search. That may be, you know, they, they may have lots of different objectives in mind, but user journeys are starting with Google at the end of the day. So we all know we want to be high up in the search engines. We want to come in the top rankings for the words that people are searching for. But there's a lot of things we need to consider. One of the most important things is if we looked at search maybe two years ago, people would search, they would put their search term in they would look at page one page two maybe page three of the results trying to find what they're looking for what's very much changed and we've got some eye tracker studies that show us this and an eye tracker study is something that actually tracks where your pupils end up on the screen and how you interact with the screen are that people now do a search going to google look at the top maybe three four five results if they don't see what they're looking for they refine the search term and what I mean by that is they put more search words in or they change the words they're actually searching for. So what you're saying, Dan, is that a year or two ago, people were putting a search term in and sort of patiently going down through all of the options, maybe even going to page two and three. Mm. But now they're just going to the first few of page one. Yeah, I mean, these are generalizations. I mean, this is this is generally the case. I and mean, a lot of people do look at page two, three. People do go down to page 100 sometimes, I'm sure. But the, the general issue is that people are getting much more used to how Google works. So they're adjusting how they search according to Google. Google understands how we search a lot more and has adjusted accordingly. And therefore, you end up with a situation where people are using search engines differently. What that means is that it's even more important to get higher rankings. It also means it's even harder to get higher rankings because more and more people are optimizing their websites. 
But there are stats out there that say that still 80 to 90% of websites aren't optimized for the search engines. So what we're talking about is how do we get our, our websites to the top of the rankings in Google? Okay, so that we appear in those top couple of rankings, so people are actually finding us, clicking on us. Okay, Dan. So, so what are the what are the main things? The, the basic, uh, the sort of the stuff that gets eighty percent of the results, but only takes twenty percent of the time that we all need to be looking at on our websites. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point to start with because there's so much in search engine optimization. You could go on forever doing lots of little tweaks and changes. The key thing is to really focus on the basics because the basics hold true. Even when Google makes changes to how they rank pages, the basics tend to hold fairly true. So search engine optimization boils down to two things, really. It's as simple as that. On-page optimization, so getting your web pages built correctly and getting the right words in the right places. And then secondly, link building. How many people are actually linking to your website? Um, because basically, a link to your website is seen like a vote of confidence by Google. Okay, mm-hmm. And we'll take them in that order. We'll look at on-page optimization first, and then we'll look at link building after that. Okay, Okay, fantastic. So let's start with on-page optimization. On-page optimization, as I mentioned, is about getting the right words in the right places on your page. But it's also about making sure that your pages are built in such a way that Google can read them correctly. Okay, Because if you think about it, if Google can't read your pages then you're never going to get a ranking at all. So how this all starts is that Google has these things called bots or spiders uh, or robots, and they go out and they read web pages, okay? And they crawl the web, and this is why they're called spiders, because they crawl the web, and they go out there and they read web pages, and they basically send the content of those pages back to Google so Google can build its index, can build up its database of what the website is all about. Google doesn't see the web page as you or I see it, it sees the code of the page. So first of all, we have to realize that Google doesn't know how pretty your images are or how shiny that animated graphic was that you had on the front of your web page. It sees the code behind the page. And that code behind the page has a big impact on how easy it is for Google to work out what your page is all about. So for example, if your code is very hard for Google to read, it's going to be hard for Google to work out what's content and what's layout. Okay, and we'll talk about the different different things that affect that in a moment. So first of all, spiders are reading and the robots are reading your page, sending information back to Google, and then Google starts to paint a picture of what your web page is all about. So it's looking at the headings, the text, the titles, all the different elements of your page, and that's how it decides what the page is about. So first things first, how do we know if Google is actually reading our web pages at all at the moment? First thing to do, go into Google, and where you would normally do a search in Google, if you put in the word cache, so C-A-C-H-E, and then a colon, so cache colon, and then your website address. So in our is, is that with no space, Daniel, after the colon? Yeah, no space at all. So cache colon, for example, www.academyinternet.com, and that will tell me when Google last visited my web page. And that will show me a little kind of version of what Google saw when it came. So two things it tells me. When did Google last come? If it didn't come, then Google isn't seeing my web page in the first place. If it did come, does the image that's there represent roughly what I expect my web page to look like? If there's a big problem and there's nothing there at all, that tells me there's a major problem with Google reading my pages. So, so does it actually show you an image of your website? How does it present the information to you? It does show you an image of your website, but it shows you how it's interpreted it. Now, it doesn't give you a clear picture because it could show your web page perfectly, but it may not be able to understand it at all. For example, if your whole website was built in Flash... 
so it was all animated and, and, and built using Flash. Then it would show your web page fine, but you wouldn't realize that actually Google isn't getting a lot of information from that because Google will read Flash, but it won't give it a lot of weighting at all at the end of the day and the content gets lost and so on and so forth. So first of all, we use this cache operator and we can see if Google's seeing our pages in the first place. Okay, great. Next thing to do, go into Google, do a search, do site, the word site and then colon, no space again, and then your website address. And that will tell you all the pages in your website that Google is seeing. So hopefully you'll then find all of the, web, the pages in your website are being listed in Google. So if we do those two things, we see Google is listing our website mm-hmm. and all our pages there, fine. We've made the first step. Google is reading our website okay at the basic level. So that's a good first step. Just a, a bit of a silly question here. What's, what enables Google to see your site in the first place? I mean, what would you have to have done wrongly for Google not to have even found your website? Sure. Well, the, the, the most important thing is getting a link to your website from another website. Because Google crawls the web. It goes out there, it crawls from one website to another, and it needs to be able to find your website. So unless there's a link to your website from somewhere else, it's unlikely Google is ever going to find your website. You can submit your website to Google for Google to read it. If you go to Google, on the front page of Google, there's an About Google on the bottom, kind of middle, bottom right-hand side. And there's various tools in there for webmasters and various things you can do. And you can submit your website there. To be honest... I don't think it does an awful lot. It seems to uh, drop off into into nowhere when you submit your website there because they're so busy. They've got such a huge list of websites to be in look at mm. that it, it, you know, it doesn't really help you. So the most important thing, first of all, is build your website but then get a link from somewhere else because otherwise you're an island of information, not connected to anything else and you're never going to be found. So it's really important to do that, first of all. Other things that can cause a problem, if you build your website in such a way that it can make it very hard for Google to get the information that's in your pages. So, for example... You could build your website using frames. And frames was a little bit of HTML that allowed you to scroll one part of the page while one, keeping one page set, one part kind of stationary, which is quite nice design-wise. But unfortunately, Google hates frames. So you'll find that Google won't see the content of the frames. They'll just see the frames themselves. And there's, there's lots of issues like that where Google won't particularly like the way you build your pages. Mm. Um, if you build your page with absolutely tons of JavaScript in it, so you've got drop-down menus and slide-in menus and pop-ups and pop-overs and all sorts of things like that using JavaScript, the content of the page gets very, very mixed up with all the JavaScript, and it means that it's very hard for Google to differentiate between what's content and what's JavaScript. So again, that can cause a problem. Um, you can also get a problem if you use tables to build your web pages. Tables are a, a reasonably valid way of laying out pages. You're much better off using CSS or cascading style sheets because CSS separates content from layout. Whereas with tables, the layout and the content are all intermingled with each other, so it's harder again for Google to see what's what. So what we're trying to do is really, first of all, make sure Google can see our website in the first place, but then the content of our pages make it really easy for, for Google to better read that content and make it really clear and obvious what our web pages are about. So at this stage, we're talking about you know the, the, the code of the page and how the page is, is actually written. But what we need to think about first of all is, okay, we've got this page, this page is about a particular thing, and we want people to find it when they search for a particular thing. Well, we need to work out what people are searching for in the first place. And we've mentioned this, we mention this all the time, keyword research is a really important thing. What are people actually searching for in the first place uh, that you want to be found for? Now, the example I always give of this is if you want to be number one for the word jobs, 
very important kind of topic on online recruitment and um, hugely, hugely popular search term. If you want to be number one for the word jobs, fine, you can you can be number one for the word jobs if you've enough time, effort and working. Mm. But you will find that you are competing with hundreds of millions, if not billions of other pages. You, and that's because jobs is a very generic term, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, and even if even if you spend all this time and money and effort to get to number one for the word jobs, and you're number one out of you know two billion pages, you feel very pleased with yourself. Give yourself a pat on the back. But when people search for jobs, what they're actually doing, they're kind of browsing around. They're they're not very focused. They may be looking for a jobs website or where a jobs advertised, but they're not being that specific. If you want to be number one for academic jobs, Manchester. Okay, that's a much more specific phrase. So firstly, you're going to be competing against less people. So you're probably talking hundreds of thousands as opposed to millions of pages you're competing against to get to the number one position. But also, when somebody searches for Academic Job Manchester, much more likely to carry out an action like submit their CV or actually apply for a job because they're much closer to the point of purchase. We say point of purchase, not actually buying anything in this case, but the idea being the more specific the phrase the more likely it is you're actually going to action and do something afterwards. This is really interesting, actually, because it's this whole idea of being able to sort of classify phrases in terms of their um, likely... Um, I'm trying to think of a good phrase here, a good key phrase that describes this, in terms of their likely um, intent behind them. So some certain phrases, the person is likely to be actively searching for stuff. Other phrases, people are just likely to be browsing around. It's sort of Sunday afternoon, just before tea, sort of browsing type. So, so action phrases would be, um, I don't know, sort of a, perhaps a particular model of a, of a video exactly. camcorder or something like that. I mean, that's exactly it. It's, it's how likely are they to turn into a conversion. And that conversion could be buying something, getting in contact, um, all the different actions they can actually take out on your website. Mm. The... Another normal example is, okay, if somebody searches on DVD player, well, they're researching, they're at a very high level, they're working out, you know, um, looking at the different kind of models, what's out there. If they do, for example, Panasonic DVD player, they're a bit more specific, they're slightly more likely to purchase and they're they're comparing kind of um, prices and things like that. If they do Panasonic RP9 1K36 black, they're very, very likely to either be buying one or getting one serviced. So the important thing is to work out what words are important to you. It's very valid to have the word jobs, for example, because that would get you stacks of traffic if you got to number one. But what's the quality of that traffic for you? Okay. If you've got academic jobs in Manchester, you're going to get less traffic, but much more likely to get more conversions if you've got academic jobs in Manchester listed on your, your website, whatever it may be. So we have to work out what people are searching for. Now, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do because we make assumptions about our businesses and we can talk to our customers, we can ask people the questions, but there are some tools out there that allow us to help with all this kind of thing. The, the, the classic kind of commercial one is Word Tracker. So it's wordtracker.com. That allows you to put in a search phrase and it will tell you how many people you're competing against for that phrase, but also how many people will be searching for that per month and per day as well okay so it'll give you kind of indications of how many people loosely will be searching for that term what we should say with all these keyword research tools are that none of them are 100 percent accurate because they're taking past data and they're they're making some assumptions with it all but word tracker is a good place to start there's a, a free trial of that as well and word tracker is good because you can separate uk and us data um which is great if you're in the uk because a lot of the data tends to be us centric Okay, mm-hmm. so that that's a good a good one. Nichebot, n i c h e bot dot com, 
is a very good tool. So you pay for credits and then the credits allow you to actually do various different searches and compare different results. And it's actually really useful. Daniel, are they still um, going, operating from nichebotclassic.com? Because they changed, didn't they, a while ago? Um, I have no idea, to be honest. So we'll have to have a look at that. But I mean, the, there are two different interfaces and both were as equally confusing as each other, in my opinion. <laughs> it was not the best bit of usability in the world, but the actual tools themselves are pretty good. So if you're going to use Nichebot, I would suggest you give it a bit of time and read through the instructions and what have you, because it doesn't always make the most of sense when you look at it first off. But it's actually a very, very good tool. Right, well, I'll check online, and whether it's Nichebot or Nichebot Classic, I'll put the relevant link in the show notes. Brilliant stuff. So um, so I'd recommend both of those. Have, have a look at those. There are lots of other tools out there. Um, the Google AdWords tool will give you some indication. Now, that, that Google AdWords being the pay-per-click system in Google. If you register for an account with that, you can go in and you can do comparative keyword research. Now, it will be skewed because it will be giving you pay-per-click data. But you can compare apples to apples. You can compare two different words. Now, an example of that, um, if you're a B&B owner, for example, are people searching on bed and breakfast, B&B, B ampersand B? There's lots of different possible variations. So we need to work out which one we want to get onto our pages. So we go in there, we put bed and breakfast in. It will give us all the different variations of that. So bed and breakfast, hotel, accommodation, and so on and so forth. And then it will tell us what most people are searching for. Okay, so we start to make some inroads into working out what people are searching for. So we talk to our colleagues, we talk to our customers, we use some of these tools, and we start to build a list of words we know we need to get onto our website. Are these words or phrases or both, Daniel? That's a really good point because people don't generally search on words anymore. So only about 13% of searches that will actually be on single words anymore. Over 50% of searches are done with three or more word phrases. So it's not jobs, it is academic jobs, Manchester, it's those multiple word phrases. Um, there's this idea of the long tail as well, and there's a very good ri- book written on the, uh, with that title that's about these very specific phrases that lots of people are searching for that actually turn into business. Okay? Now, a great example of this, I always talk about this website a fair bit, is stevepavlina.com. Um, Steve writes a, a blog um, on self-improvement and he writes some very interesting articles, some quite esoteric ones as well. But there's um, some great content on there and one that drives lots of traffic. If you drop a search into Google for how to get up earlier in the morning, which sounds like a very obscure phrase or how to get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning. which you think that, Not that many people can be searching for that. Well, Steve comes up number one and number two in Google for that. And apparently he gets a vast amount of traffic to his website for that particular phrase. And it's actually turned into one of the most popular topics on his entire website because mm. people want to know how to motivate themselves more and so on and so forth. So um, don't pass judgment too much. Actually, looking at the keyword research tools, talking to people can really give you some great phrases and actually work out what you should be searching for. But more often than not, you are selling a particular product. You need, you know you need to be you know, as high up as possible for those particular words. So you work out the words you want to rank for, and then you've got to go about the process of optimizing your pages for those particular phrases. Okay, so now, yes, now we know our, our words. What do we do with them on the page? Okay. First things first, each page really shouldn't be optimized for more than, you know, one, two, three phrases. Okay. Because each page in your website should be about a particular topic, should be about a particular piece of information. Okay. Your homepage is always a difficult one because your homepage is probably about you know, 100 different things because it's about everything your business is about. So you have to pick your primary key phrases. They're the most important things, the things that are really, really of the utmost importance. 
Okay. Well, presumably, a, a fairly good summary of your service and business, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really about, you know, what are the most high-level things that you do? When you summarize, if you write down what you do in a paragraph, you know, it, that has to be the words, the phrases will need to be in there. So the bottom line is what we're saying is each page needs to be optimized for one to three phrases maybe. And we're going through and saying, right, this page is about this topic. I've worked out my most important primary key phrases for that topic are X, Y, and Z. So therefore, I need to get those phrases onto the page. Now, where do they go on the page? If you are editing the HTML yourself, this stuff will make sense. If you're not, if you're using a developer to do it for you, you need to ask them to do this stuff for you. Or if you're using um, an editor, some sort of tool that edits the code for you, then you will need to see what code the editor produces for you. Okay, because normally you use the editor and it will put the, the, the phrases in different places and you need to see how it's building that code for you. Unless you're like me and you use Notepad to code your HTML. <laughs> well, that's ideal, really, because then you can see exactly what's going on. So you can actually see the code. And that's, if you're hand coding, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, key thing is there's different elements on the page and Google gives different elements on the page different weighting. So the heading on the page is more important than the last couple of words in the very last paragraph that's right down the bottom of the page. The title of the page is more important than word in the third paragraph down and so on and so forth. So there's different elements of the page that are more important than the others. A couple of key things. Probably the most single most important thing on the page is the page title. Okay. The page title is not the title of the page as you see it on the page, the page title is the bit that appears. When you look at your browser window, the very, very top of your browser window, it's in the top bar along the top, and that's your page title. And in the HTML code, it's in the title tag. So it's in the head of your HTML document, and it's in the title tags, and that's the actual title of your page, okay? That's probably the single most important thing as far as Google's concerned, it gives it the most weighting. It's also what Google uses to list you when you do a search in Google. So it's that blue line when you search in Google, you're actually listed under. Okay, So it's very important you get that right for two reasons. One, first of all, Google's using it to judge what your page is all about. But secondly, people will read it and decide if your page is relevant to them or not and whether or not they should be clicking on your link or somebody else's. Now, Daniel, the order of the words in that title tag are very important, are they not? Am I right in thinking it's most specific first, least specific last? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The mistake a lot of people make is they will list their company name as the first couple of words. Now, to be honest, if somebody's looking for your particular company, they're quite likely to find you. Okay, It's when they're looking for your service, for your service that you actually want to be found or your product. So what you want to do is list what you do first and then your name. Okay, um, Because the... Most important words are at the beginning of a sentence, okay, generally. So that's how Google looks at it. The words at the beginning are the most important. For example, on the page as well, the words in the first paragraph are seen as more important than the words in the last paragraph. The words in the first heading are seen as more important than the words in the later headings because it's just quite logical. You tend to mention the most important things, first of all. So in the title, talk about what you sell or what your service is before you talk about who you are. So to use my silly joke that I used several weeks ago in, in a previous episode, <laughs> if you've got like funkyclothes.com uh, on your Paisley pyjamas for sardines page yeah. in the title tag, you won't have funky clothes hyphen Paisley pyjamas for sardines. You'll have sardines Paisley pyjamas 
hyphen perhaps funkyclothes.com something like that yeah it's really it's really about what what the key offering on the page is so the offering of the page is the actual product or the service it's not who you are it's more important to be talking about what you do and what you offer mm-hmm. so you need to get those words in first um, but you also need to make sure you're using the words that people use to describe that product as well so it's getting that keyword research stage first mm-hmm. of all so we get our page title right now other elements of the page that are really important okay the headings on the page now um, the way we tend to read web pages is to scan for headings, see if we're interested or not, and then read the rest of the content. So it's a nice way to write pages anyway. But the headings on the page should be in H tags. Okay. So the way H tags works it work in HTML is that you have an H1 tag, which is the most important, H2, H3, H4, H4, so on and so forth, going down. Okay. So we put our most important titles in H1 then second most important, H2, and so on and so forth. Then we have got our actual body content, the content of the pages themselves, and our paragraph text. And obviously, the first paragraph is the most important, so you need to get your key phrases into that first paragraph where possible as well. Then we've got various other elements of the page. One of the most important being your alt text. Now, the alt text is something that's used to describe an image. So, as I said before, Google isn't interested in you know, an image particularly because it can't understand what it is. It can't look at the image and really get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. So, it uses the alt text description. Now, what we should say at this point, an alt text is not there for the search engines. An alt that text is there for accessibility. So, the idea of an alt text is describe the image to somebody that may not be able to see that image. So, if somebody's got a visual impairment, they're using something called a screen reader to actually read the content out to them, then the alt text is there for to describe the image to them. So the alt text should describe an image and put it in context. So rather than just saying logo or just saying, you know, news picture, it should actually describe the picture and actually make a sense. But that's also great for the search engines because it can describe it to Google and it will help Google to actually understand what the image is and set the page as a whole in context. So we've got our headings, we've got our titles, uh, we've got um, the actual page content, we've got our alt text. There's lots of other elements of the page. If you get those right, you're you're probably 80% there. Can we just talk briefly about um, keyword density in, mm. in those paragraphs? What sort of, and by density, what, what we mean is the... Uh, the ratio of the keywords to the rest of the text. Uh, what, what sort of density should we be looking at going for? <clears throat> What's really important to understand here is that we're not trying to fiddle Google. What we're trying to do is make it clear to Google what this web page is all about. Okay, this is about kind of tagging the content up to make it nice and clear. You can go way too far with all this and um, Google will think you're fiddling and it will ban you at the end of the day. So we've got to be careful about this. There's been lots of, over the years, lots of cheats and silly things you could do. At the most basic level, people would put white text on a white background. So you and I wouldn't see it, but Google would see the text and therefore... You know, the page would be kind of uh, seen to be optimised for words that weren't even on the page. Keyword density is an important thing because if you repeat a word too often, it's quite clear you're just trying to over-optimise the page. Rule of thumb is if you read a page and it reads like it's been optimised, you've gone too far. What I'd suggest is if you've got a word in the title, in a heading, in the first paragraph and on the alt text, it's probably enough. You don't have to keep repeating a word within the content. If it naturally occurs that you would have the word in the actual paragraph a couple of times, that's fine. If you're writing a website about podcasting, you're quite likely to mention the word podcast and podcast a fair amount of times. Mm. Okay, But we shouldn't be trying to repeat words for the sake of repeating them. Really, I'd say that if the word naturally occurs, 
then repeat it that's fine but generally what you're trying to do is just make sure it's in the heading make sure it's in the title make sure it's actually in the copy but beyond that don't just try and repeat words for the sake of repeating them one thing to be really careful of is something called immediate repeats which is where you finish a sentence with a word and then you start the sentence with the same word again mm-hmm. now it naturally does occur sometimes when you're writing a sentence out but it looks dubious because it looks like you're just repeating a word. So you're putting podcast, podcast, podcast kind of thing. It, it, it doesn't look very good, particularly when you're recording a podcast on podcasting um, and you can end up... Daniel, it's a good job we don't have this transcribed, isn't it? Because if we did, uh, the Google would go berserk, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it's uh, you have to be a bit careful. It, it is a... Uh, it's a, it's a thorny subject, but at the end of the day, you're writing content to flag up to Google what the topic is about. So I think it's it's really important that all you do is uh, is just make sure it's in the right places. Read the, read the page afterwards. It's very easy to optimise a page and not read the page through afterwards. So really read through the page. If it reads like it's been optimised, maybe take a step back and re- remove a few of the words that you've repeated in there as well. And just make sure it makes sense at the end of the day. On-page optimization is all about really kind of getting a feel for what's on the page, making sure it matches what people are searching for and then making sure it's clear to google what your web page is all about get the technical stuff right so there's not too much javascript it's not built in flash it's not built in frames and then get the right words in the right places on the page okay daniel so that's on page optimization and that is going to be today's lesson we're actually going to split this into two aren't we and we're going to do off-page optimization or inbound links effectively in the next lesson which will be in the next episode at the end of may Now, Daniel, just before we go on to the next segment of the podcast, which is a wonderful interview uh, I had with uh, Jonathan Moss, Mm. which we'll come on to in a minute. Tell me what's been happening in the Academy, because, of course, this podcast is brought to you by Academy Internet. And just give us a very, very quick overview on what Academy do and what you have been doing lately, because I know there's a lot of um, very interesting things have been happening in Academy lately, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it before. Um, I mean, for those that don't know, Academy Internet is a digital marketing agency um, and we started off very concentrated on search optimization, pay-per-click, web development. And over the years, the company's grown and we've moved into doing things like conversion marketing and analytics analysis and viral campaigns and all kinds of exciting things. Um, But we've just recently merged with a company, Site Visibility, who are a kind of specialist search company. Um, And the idea of that was really, it's it's always a difficult question. You say, do you go for a generalist? Do you go for a full service agency? Or do you go for a specialist? Do you go for somebody that just concentrates on search? And it's always a quandary for an agency and it's always a quandary for a client as well, which they should pick. So from our point of view, being a kind of generalist who is a full service agency but also has specialist divisions is a really nice situation for us. Plus it gets us to have new people in the company so we can pick their brains as well and uh, mm-hmm. uh, learn from them as well. So it's exciting times here and uh, we're offering lots of new services and bits and pieces. So obviously, if you're interested, have a look at the website and we won't plug it too much. <laughs> Any interesting projects that you're allowed to talk about? Yeah, I think, I mean, you've got the interview with um, with Jonathan coming later in this podcast. Jonathan's been developing a kind of social media website and we've been working, kind of doing some consultancy for Jonathan, looking at all different aspects of how we promote this website, looking at the usability best practice, um, just all different elements. And it's a really exciting project. I mean, Jonathan's had some fantastic ideas. He's got some really good people involved. The company that have developed the website, in this case, we haven't actually developed the website. We've done some some bits and pieces of work. We've been working with the agency um, they create and uh, they're absolutely brilliant little agency and they've done some some brilliant work on this website so it's been really interesting having lots of different people involved really really some clever ideas coming out um, what are the different commercial models that can be involved so do have a listen to the interview and um, have a look at the website as well and see what you think and obviously we'd love your feedback 
Daniel Rouse, thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you, Andy, as ever. I'm talking to Jonathan Moss, and he is the man behind a very interesting community site called Balls, that's B-A-L-L-Z dot com. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about Balls, and then tell us about how it got started. Um, Good evening, Andy. Balls. Um, I always found the name funny, actually. Uh, It has all the right carry-on film type connotations. And uh, one of my biggest loves is carry-on films. And uh, uh, there was a famous scene in one of them. I was listening to it a couple of years ago, watch, watching one of the uh, the movies. And someone said, Old oh, Balls. And I thought, what a great brand name. And I like it. I, I was very interested in sport, very interested in getting active. Uh, my kids were starting to play sport, but there was nowhere for them to find out what sports were going on in their area. They didn't know how to share their sporting activities with friends, etc., etc. I thought, God, there's got to be good business in this. And uh, in essence, that's how it started. Um, And I've had to put two years of development into this. That's thinking development as well as technical development uh, to get it to the point where we've just gone live. And... I'm just trying to... I, I have been on the site. In fact, I'm going to go there now, straight away. I'm going to bring my browser up, and I'm going to have a look around it, because it's got some really nice features, uh, particularly like the... Um, oh, it's got millions of features. I wouldn't know where to start, but I particularly like the um, the one where you can get these these leagues going. And uh, tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, we're really excited about this. Um, one has to differentiate oneself when you design a a, a new website, especially a community site. And from a a sporting perspective, all sites out there are mainly informational, uh, giving you news. Uh, There's the odd site you're able to blog, etc. But with balls.com, you're able to go much further than that. You may play poker with your mates. You may do a Sunday football match, maybe in an amateur league. Um, how do you track what's going on? How do you track the games? How do you set up the events, etc., uh, etc.? Et so what we design, and this is very simple but clever capability, uh, to, to you yourself, create your own leagues, invite teams and team captains. Those team captains can invite their own players. The players can invite their friends, their parents, etc. And all of a sudden, you've got a community around the league, not just a sport. And it's not only used for the average person, anyone who, who's interested in, in, in being active. One of the target audiences we have is schools. And we've done a lot of research uh, when we set the business up and spoke to a number of heads of school sport uh, across the country. And a common theme came up that most schools, they play sport against other schools in their area, typically four or five schools uh, for, say, a game of uh, netball within a 10 or 15 mile radius and you imagine we've all been at school the the school league is sorry the the sport league is put up on on a notice board in the school it's probably typed up or, or laser printed up put on the wall and you can see the the results that's you in your school can see the results and each teacher each head of school sport in their respective schools does the same well how about using balls.com to set up a league so i'll give you an example my daughter goes to a local school she plays netball against five other schools her head of sport elizabeth is creating a league for fifth form girls uh netball or hockey uh she then invites the kids 
the kids invite the parents. She also invites the heads of sport from the other schools, and they invite the kids who invite the parents. You've got this rich community. Uh, Elizabeth will post up the, the events for that term going forward, and she'll also post up the results after the game. The kids can come home. They can blog, they can talk, they can have fun. The parents or the kids can upload photos. And we actually have one very clever bit of capability, which is um, text messaging. And I've done this myself. I will turn up at a game to watch my daughter play, and maybe I'm the only parent on the touchline, and she scores, and maybe it's 5 nil. So I can text in to that particular fifth-form hockey sports league Saskia scored 5-0, great game. And all the other parents and kids who are part of that league, not only for her school but for all the other schools, will actually receive text message alerts. And it's almost you've turned yourself into a live match reporter from the touchline. That, in essence, is what leagues are about and why we're very excited. That's absolutely fantastic because that reminds me of another aspect of the site that it really empowers people to become sports reporters if you like i mean how does that bit work yes um always had the vision from day one of turning anybody into a budding journalist what we do is we watch the usage of people on the site so andy maybe you join the sports.com and you choose a number of sports and you start blogging and what you are doing is you're creating the news behind sport but just from a a blog perspective. Maybe you help uh, in, in a local uh, disability organization trying to get disabled kids active in uh, wheelchair basketball, as an example. Mm. Now, what you're able to do is be recognized by balls.com. We will invite you to become a balls.com journal. And with that, you get certain status. We will recognize the fact that you are blogging a lot and we will invite you to become a balls.com journo. Now, with that, assuming you accept, you have a responsibility. That responsibility is to go out there and broadcast. That is to take your mobile phone or, 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 a, or a mic or whatever type of uh, technology you've got and go and interview people. Now, you could be interviewing maybe uh, the captain of of that wheelchair basketball team maybe you want to go and interview the head of the local sports center or a local disability coach maybe you're in the crowd watching uh the local uh, spurs versus arsenal game and you can imagine there's the roar of the crowd there's the people beside you getting very excited you could record that talk to people interview it maybe it's just a two-minute interview and upload it to the site what technology and does that use, Jonathan? Is it like sort of mobile phone technology? or uh... It's any technology you want. All we ask is that you upload it as an MP3. So when we invite you to become a journal, we'll also give you some hints and tips on what to do uh, and explain to you how to, how to upload content. Now, what's good about this is other people can rate your broadcasts. So you have the concept of becoming what we call a top journal. And over the months, as you put up more content and you're rated more highly and you reach the top of the, uh, the charts, if you like, in terms of journalism, we'll run journalism award uh, together with the local SJA, the Sports Journalists Association, and actually provide you with recognition. And for some of those who, budding journalists who actually wish to have a, a journal career, we think this is a great way uh, another way for you to get your your name out there because uh, another thing we do is we archive all your stories 
So in effect, you've got an online CV. So it's turning the ordinary man in the street into a journalist. Is this video as well, Jonathan? Um, it's not video on day one. It's video probably within two months of launch. And mm. um, what we're trying to do is find a way uh, to partner up with the likes of YouTube so that we're using other people's technology uh, far more advanced than what we could do and actually hook that into the site. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Now, I'm interested in uh, what form of marketing you've been using to promote the site because it's only been live... Sorry, is it, is it about a week, Jonathan? That's exactly right. Um, it's very interesting, and I have to confess I've learned a lot about this because I was used to what I call traditional marketing, you know, putting an ad in the newspaper. What we did was uh, engage Academy Internet, actually, who are experts at online marketing, to help us do all the pre-go-live work as well as the uh, marketing post-go-live. So they helped us put up a, a holding page for the last couple of months, which gives you starts to get out the SEO, you know, the, the optimization, mm. checking things like all the meta tags. We have uh, started to engage with the blogger community. So that's finding out who within the UK are the top 200 sport bloggers. Mm -hmm. signing them up as beta testers, getting their buy-in, etc. Going to the, the universities that run journal courses uh, and getting them engaged, etc. And this is what we call our soft launch phase, of course. Um, within a month, month and a half, we hope to press release this. But again, we'll press release it online to a lot of the social networking sites such as Mashable, TechCrunch, etc., mm -hmm. as well as the more traditional places such as the, you know, the traditional um, uh, radio stations, sports associations, newspapers, magazines. That's the, the, the quick summary of the approach we're taking. Absolutely amazing. So what are some of the other features of the site then, Jonathan, that we haven't talked about? Okay, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great functionality on the site. Uh, when you log in and, and you create your profile, uh, which is a very quick and simple thing to do, you immediately choose your sport or your sports. Um, uh, it's very tabular. In effect, each sport tab you have is a separate database, and you can have separate friends uh, and track separate activities on each sport. You've got the classic capability of any social networking site, uh, what we call a talk wall, not unlike a, a Facebook wall, where yeah. you can view somebody's profile and you can leave them a message. But that message is seen by all sorts of people who are friends of yours on the site. We also have personal messaging, so it's, just, it's, it's private between you and, and your friend. You've got this great blogging capability, as I described before. Anybody who does a blog, other people can rate it. So you don't have to be a journo to have your blogs rated. You can upload photos. Uh, we've got all these little applications. We call them balls.com modules. You can have a news module, which you can just drag into your, into your sport area. Yeah. Right now, that news is taken from the BBC. But what we're trying to do is talk to a lot of associations out there and see if they know of news feeds we could use. And importantly here, we're not talking the top 10 sports only, the rugby's, the football's, the swimming's. We're talking everything from caber tossing to underwater polo. Yeah, that's the, one of the things I noticed, because uh, I noticed when I first... Sorry to interrupt there, Jonathan. I noticed okay. that when I first uh, created my profile, I, um, I found a guy who was into slalom canoeing. Well, yes. And what's interesting about that is, where would you buy products for slalom canoeing? 
So one of the capabilities we've got on the site, and, and, and we need the, the products capability anyway, because we need money to help us keep the site up and running, of course, Absolutely. is we, we're selling products per sport. Right now, we probably sell products for about 25 of the sports and we have 220 sports so if you're into canoeing and slalom canoeing that's a particular type of canoe ultimately you'll 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 be able to be on that canoe sport page and on the right hand side you'll be able to click on the products particular for slalom canoeing and i don't mean just the canoe i mean the safety equipment the training courses the videos maybe the the book on the last world championships holidays you can imagine there are plenty of canoeing holidays Mm. It's every type of product that you could associate to a particular sport, however esoteric that sport is. Balls.com aims to be the place for sport, for sports products, for sports news, for sports community, for, for, for sports activeness. Jonathan, I just found a feature called Sports Watch. How does that work? Uh, Sports Watch is a module we have where you can watch somebody else's sport tab. So, Andy, you may be into caber tossing. Um, How did you guess? Yeah, well, I know you don't live in Scotland, but to the plenty of people who do, it's a new sport you're interested in. I am interested in tracking whether you have updated that particular sport tab for cable tossing. So oh, if you right. if you do a blog entry or you you uh, create some news or you do a broadcast, my sport watch module will track whether you've created any new information and it will tell me. Okay, so it's like an observer of the uh, of of the sport. So basically, it, presumably, it's just not me. If if anyone who who has that sport as their sport adds to their their sport tab, do you see that? Yes, you do. Fantastic. Uh, yes, uh, let me give you another feature, Andy, which is critical to the success of Bulls dot com, is being able to give people information on what's going on on locally to them using our local to you capability in fact if you look at it on your browser yeah, you'll I'm see just what going I mean. there now yeah local to you Here you can go. select from a list let's take reflexologists if you select reflexologists okay. and these would tend to be sports-based reflexologists uh, and put in your postcode click the button okay. you'll get that list of services in your area wow there's loads now at the moment, we have everything from ref- reflexologists, sports masseurs, health clubs, personal trainers. Very quickly, we want to build up a list of sports coaches. And not only generic sports coaches, you know, you need a coach to, to teach your kid how to play tennis. You just use balls.com. Also, disability sports coaches. Now, that's a particular type of skill. We're also going to be adding on what we call buddies. Now, buddies are particularly well-educated uh, and trained people who specialize in helping disability-based people. For instance, you might have, for whatever reason, uh, lost a leg, but you want to still do running on the track. You need a certain type of uh, buddy who's experienced with that type of disability to help you run. So we will have that type of information. In fact, not only do you, can you search for a, a sports buddy, or you will be able to, within the next couple of months, you'll also be able to sign up to be a sports buddy. And then we'll extend that. Maybe you've just moved to uh, Leeds uh, with a new job and you're interested in playing tennis and you can search for uh, tennis partners in that area or you can sign up to be a tennis partner. So it's information that is local to you and of use to you. That's what this site's about. So it really is a 
a sort of social site purely for people who are into all the various sports. It also includes sports for people with disabilities, doesn't it, Jonathan? That's right, Andy. I think we've got something like 54 disability sports. Most people don't realise that there are disability sports. There is disability rugby. There's also wheelchair rugby. A lot of people have heard, of course, of wheelchair basketball, which is quite prominent. Um, But if you take a lot of the Paralympic sports, they're all disability-based. We believe at Bulls.com in a voice for all, activity for all, promoting sport, promoting activity for disability-based people as well as ability. There is a lot of push from the government to get disabled people in particular more active for all the reasons that you would understand uh, but what's interesting if you go on some of the government websites like the Paralympic sites and Menkat and things like that all they are is information they don't actually make you active they, there's no self sorry there's no help in terms of the community there balls.com will actively promote disability sports um, it'll actively help people with a disability get information and help from from others and uh, one of the things we want to do in the next eight to ten months is have a balls.com sports team that's both a Paralympics team and an Olympics team. So these are budding sports, amateur sports people who are desperate to get into the uh, team for the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics. And we believe this site will help do that. Well, Jonathan, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And I wish you the best of luck with the site. So just for everyone again, it's www.balls, B-A-L-L-Z, Dot com. That is correct. Join now, it, use it, enjoy it. Now, can I be a little bit? Can I can I change subject slightly here? Because I did want to talk to you, Jonathan, as well uh, about the power of podcasting. Because am I correct in thinking that one of the reasons you approached Academy Internet was because of this very podcast? I am proof that podcasting works for all the right business reasons. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night actually thinking about how the hell I get this thing off the ground. And I was searching through iTunes to find your uh, and Academy Internet's uh, podcast. And I started listening. And um, I probably spent two hours listening to a number of uh, your podcasts. And I, I realized that Academy, in particular Daniel Rouse of Academy, sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And the following morning, I, I made the phone call and I then had the meeting and gave them the business. Well, it's a great story. And I think it's a, it's a, a testimony to the, uh, to the power of uh, distributed media, I guess, particularly <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> but uh, Jonathan Moss, thank you very, very much for speaking to us. And uh, thanks for for telling us about balls.com. And uh, I wish you all the best in the future. I'll leave the last word with you, Jonathan. It's great being on this podcast. Actually, it's my first time, if I may say. I'd just like to give uh, some advice to people, um, if I may. And that's just stick to your vision. If, If you're trying to start a business, doesn't matter what it is, stick to your vision. Don't let people sway you and network a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments that you'd like featured on the show, please do send them to info at academyinternet.com. 
Do feel free to send in MP3 files if you'd like to um, leave an audio comment and we'll play them. And if you're a subscriber, then we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this podcast to be delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes or at the academyinternet.com website and follow the subscription buttons. We'd also love to receive comments via iTunes and the podcast directories. So this is Andy White signing off and we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Thank you.